Father in heaven, Lord, we come here week by week to hear from you, to know you, to see you, to savour you, and to grow. And Lord, I do pray this morning as we hear from your word that you would stir us up. Lord, that we would take seriously the need to live holy lives for your glory. That we would take seriously your glory. Father, if there be anyone here that does not know you, I pray today you would not let them leave without coming to know you. I pray, Lord, that you would use me now in my infirmity and weakness to praise you, to share, to make clear to my friends here just how amazing you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Good day to the folks online and those that will listen later um, on the podcast. Um, this is a big word, by which I don't mean a single word. <laughs> I mean a message. Um, and if you've worked it out already, which word is central to this, then I'm happy. Um, it's going to be hard. I found it very hard. It has had a uh, indelible, hopefully by God's grace, effect on me. And I pray that it will with you too. We've been powering our way through Hebrews. Um, last time we covered an inordinately huge passage. And today we're actually going to look at one verse. <laughs> we're going to slam the brakes on. And I did tell you that we'd cover off three points last time and that this time uh, we would pull out some more before we move on into chapter 10. Uh, but last week, just by last time, by way of reminder, I want us to remember that my first point was that the old covenant had failed to achieve what it had set out to do. And this was designed by God. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't as if God somehow had made a mess of things and his old covenant was faulty. But it didn't achieve the holiness of people. It didn't allow people to draw near to God with a clean or clear conscience. And that was to prefigure the new covenant that was to come. Because, as we know, it is impossible for the blood of mere uh, bulls and goats and sheep and heifers to take away the sin of the world. But we learned that Jesus Christ is the great high priest and that because he is the great high priest, his ministry as a high priest is better. He himself is better. And we learned that his work is better by action and it's better by outcome. The action of that great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, brings changed hearts because it's enacted on better promises. And we heard, again, the reference to Jeremiah 31 being read there by Anita from this passage. And those better uh, promises change the heart. We get a new heart, a new mind. We're a new creation. We have a new spirit. We have God's spirit working in us. And that it's better because it was enacted in a better temple, in the throne room of God himself on the cross. 
Christ enters as the high priest into heaven. He's a better priest, and to top it all, he brings a better sacrifice himself, his blood. And we learnt that it was a better outcome because he is the most valuable treasure in the cosmos. He is infinitely valuable. And so he can pay for the sin of the world. And consequently, he doesn't need to be sacrificed again. It just is once for and then all. Once for all. And at the end of that, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because it was finished. It was done. The job of paying for the sin of the world was complete. So the result of that is that we could have assurance and confidence in our faith in Christ that when we enter in, we will be saved. And this time, I want us to look at one small verse, almost buried in this huge section. But it has a huge significance for us. And that is verse 14 in chapter 10. It's a great one to commit to memory, just like the rest of Scripture. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering, he, that's Jesus Christ, has perfected for all time those that are being sanctified, those who are being sanctified. And I don't know about you, but when you first hear that text, it sounds kind of wrong, as if somehow the writer of this text has got his grammar a bit sort of muddled. Because it says this, for by a single offering, one, one offering, he has perfected, has being the past tense, perfected meaning a completion in that verb, right? It's not perfecting, he's perfected, it's, it's happened, it's over, it's done. But then he says, those who are being sanctified. Well, what are you on about here? You're saying that we've been perfected, but we're being sanctified? Make your mind up, right? <laughs> Which one is it? Of course, it's both. It's both. The tenses are deliberate because through the work of Christ on the cross, dying for the sin of the world, being buried and raised to life on the third day, the atonement has happened. The great high priest has finished that job. The sin has been paid for. The sacrifice has been meted out against the charge and the wrath of God has been brought down on the son. And so that has perfected something. And the word we use for that is justification. And then we have this other word that is sanctification. Sanctification. Justification means to be made right with. Sanctification means to be made holy. Do you feel holy this morning? It's hard. Well, if you're the church, you're being made holy. Amen. 
Justification is being made right with God. Sanctification is to be made holy for God. They both emanate from the cross. That's why it's here. I don't want you to forget that. Justification clearly emanates from the, from the cross, but sanctification does as well. If justification happens in an instant when we put our trust in Jesus to follow him, then sanctification is a lifelong process of being made holy as we follow him. That's the place of it. I want to explain something to you that might feel or sound very controversial, but it's entirely biblical. And if you struggle with this, speak to me afterwards. If you have an issue with this, I'm happy to chat through with anyone. It might sound wrong because it might sound like works. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches that sanctification, your holiness, is actually the thing that saves you. That sounds like works, doesn't it? It sounds like Sam saying that we need to just be holy in order to be saved. And in one sense, that's true. But being holy isn't the thing that justifies us, right? Because that would be works. Christ justifies us on the cross. But I want you to understand that the goal of the cross isn't your justification. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. Because without being declared righteous, without being justified, you don't get the new covenant. You don't get those better promises of the new heart and the new mind and a new spirit and Christ living in you. And without that, guess what? You can't be holy. Do you get how it works? You have to be justified. You have to be declared righteous. That charge that hangs over you in Christ because of the law has to be dealt with in order that you can get these new promises so that you can be holy. Because it's the holiness that allows you to enter heaven and not be snapped up. Hebrews 12, when we get to it, says this, strive, strive for holiness. Without it, you will not see the Lord. See to it, he says, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The sanctification thing is really serious. Would you agree? It's really, I mean, if I'm not holy, then I need to question whether I'm justified. Now, I know that I'm not holy, and worse than that, so do you. <laughs> and I know that you're not holy. But am I being made holy? Am I being sanctified? Christ's goal in loving us by dying on the cross is that we would be presented holy and blameless, you know what, to himself. <laughs> and the image he uses is the bride of Christ. You know that passage in Ephesians 5 where Paul starts to explain the meaning of marriage? The relationship that the wife and the husband have together is actually the example that's given or a picture that's given of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. And when he gets to the husbands, he says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we hear that and we go, right, as husbands, 
I need to be self-sacrificial. That's what he's saying. You need to be like Christ. Christ died for the church. That's how you need to be for your wife. But if we read on, we find out why that's important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that, this is the reason, so that he might present the church. You're being presented to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or blemish, that she might be holy. That's the reason we get justified. So all of this other stuff, this sanctifying, being made holy, would start to work. Here's some more verses that point to this same thing. First Thessalonians 4. God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. That's why you've been called. Second Timothy. Who's God who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works amen but because of his own purpose and grace it's his plan it's his purpose which he gave us in christ before the ages began first peter 1 14 as obedient children right we want to be obedient as obedient children don't be conformed to the passions of this world or of, the, of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy be holy in all your conduct. The one who called you is holy, so you need to be holy. You're not going to see him otherwise. And I know this sounds like works, but just stick along with me and you'll see how this concept lands biblically. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What for? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Is it beginning to make sense? The Bible talks the truth to itself and to us in many places. And the purpose in all that Christ has done on the cross and is doing is to sanctify us, to make us holy. And you and I, we cannot do it without a new heart. We can't. We're impotent. We don't know Christ. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. We've got no power. We've got no freedom from the curse of the law. But in Christ, we do have the power. And I want you to know, uh, some people preach that sanctification is instant. You become a believer and suddenly you're sanctified. Not according to this verse. You're being sanctified. You're perfected, justified, but you're being sanctified. If anyone says to you that the moment they became a Christian, that they're walking in a holy way, it doesn't really take long to prove that is not the case. It's a lifelong process. The other thing I want us to know is that sanctification isn't optional. That's something that's kind of taught a little bit today. Dave often 
uh, comments on this issue, that grace is enough, as sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, as uh, Paul says in Romans. So it doesn't matter what sins you, you commit, they're all paid for. That's really very dangerous. Because sanctification isn't optional. So if there is no growth going on, you need to question again whether you're justified, whether you know Christ. It's not appropriate to continue in sin. That's not to say we won't struggle with it. But to continue in it without growth and sanctification is worrying. It's not optional. It's necessary. And you and I have a part to play in it. It's not all God's work. No believer should ever come and say, it's okay, God's just going to do it. He is going to do it, but you have a part to play. Anyone who says it's okay, God's just going to make it happen, has missed the point. Yes, our focus on the cross should be about justification, declared righteous. But our focus on the cross should also be about sanctification to be made righteous. Okay, the introduction's over. You still with me? Amen. Bless you. And if you're like me uh, by now, you should get to this point and you should be kind of quaking in your boots a little bit. Um, many of you are much more mature than I am in Christ and more mature than I am in general as well. But this should sort of arrest us a little bit. It should kind of make us think, well, hang on a second. What about me? Where, where am I with this? What's going on in my life? Because the word says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so hopefully by now you're saying, well, Sam, how do I get sanctification? Where is it? <laughs> Can you give some to me? If I could, I would. But instead, I'll give you what the word says. There are two very important things that we need for sanctification. And we should just be asking two basic questions at this point. First, what are the essential ingredients of sanctification? And secondly, what are the essential, what is the essential process of sanctification? They've obviously got to work together. I just need to separate them out to make sure that we run through them carefully. What is the essential, what are the essential ingredients for sanctification? And what is the essential process? of sanctification because it's not enough just to know the essential ingredients is it if i know what the essential ingredients are for a cake and that frankly is a bit of a mystery to me but if i knew what they were and i put them on the shelf like say they're the essential ingredients for a cake but there wouldn't be a cake would there just the ingredients so i need to do something there's a process of baking a cake again i'm out of my depth here but something has to happen to those ingredients to create the cake so let's start with the first one. What are the essential ingredients for sanctification? And I just want to say there's five. And they all need to work together. So don't sit here and pick one of those and say, that's the one I want. Uh, that one's a bit easier than the others, although only one of them is really easy. Um, you need them all. They're essential. They don't work independently of one another. 
And if you want to grow, you need them all. So the first one, this is the one that isn't hard for us to do because God is the one doing it. And it's simply that God himself sanctifies us. I've said above that it's God's goal to present us holy and blameless to himself, to sanctify us. Some of it is clearly his work in us. It's fundamental to faith. No God, no sanctification. But with God, we can trust that he is at work in us to make us holy like him. We've heard it already, but as he who called you is holy, so you also will be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy. God's saying that. You are going to be holy because I'm going to do something in you. Let's start with your new heart. Let's give you one of them. Let's give you a new mind. Let's give you a new spirit. Let's give you my spirit. Great start, right? Like, <laughs> without that, we're going to do nothing. God will do it, yes. He will act. His Holy Spirit will move you. His Holy Spirit will bring your conscience out and say, no, that's wrong. You know that's wrong. Let's try this. This looks like it's going to honor me and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ more. And Paul's benediction at the end of First Thessalonians. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Amen. You know, without that, we, we haven't got a hope. And may your whole spirit, your whole spirit, and your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He's calling you to be sanctified and he's involved in your sanctification. And Paul's saying he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to get you there. It might feel at times like you're not getting anywhere. You ever felt like that? Well, take heart. God's going to get you there. The engagement, the interaction of the Holy Spirit, the one who Christ sent, he said, I've got to go. If I don't go, I can't send the helper, the comforter, the counselor. They're all words for the Holy Spirit. I've got to go because I'm going to give you him because you're going to need him because guess what? I need to work in you to help you be sanctified. So we can rest on that solid truth that if we are genuinely justified, genuinely believing in Christ, genuinely following him, then we will be sanctified. Take heart, friends. Guess what? It's not going to be easy. Anybody here finding it easy? No, thought so. <laughs> You're in good company. Secondly, then, the Bible sanctifies us. God is at work to sanctify us. And I said, all these things work together. But secondly, the Bible sanctifies us. Think about it for a minute. What does the Bible do? What is it doing today? Well, one thing it's doing is it's communicating who God is. Isn't that what that psalm is about? Isn't that what we've remembered as we've come around the, the table of remembrance for the Lord? Who he is. 
what he's like. It reveals that, what his purposes are, what his will is, what his promises are, what his actions are for us, for his holiness. It shows us what holiness is. Without it, we wouldn't know. Does the world know what holiness is? No. It knows legalism and rebellion. Ultimately, it shows us the character of Jesus Christ. The gospel reveals that. Love. And it shows us that we are terribly sinful in contrast. As we read scripture, as we meditate on the truth, it starts by the power of the Holy Spirit to make a claim, doesn't it, on us. Sam? This is God, and this is you. What do you reckon? What do you think about this? As we read scripture, it trains us in sanctification, a text we know very well, but listen to it again. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not just some of it, all scripture is breathed out by God. Yes, we know that. And then he says, and it is profitable for something. Well, what's it profitable for, Paul? Teaching. Reproof, correction, and listen, training in righteousness. There it is. Scripture is going to train us to be sanctified. It's going to we're declared righteous, but here it's going to train us in righteousness. And then he says the reason for it: that the man of God may be complete. Same word for perfection. Equipped. In every good work. Does that sound like sanctification? That's what the word does. Challenges us to do that. I have hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin <laughs> against you. I want your word in my heart to help me to stop sinning. That's the King David. The sword is the spirit. Sorry, the sword is the word, right? That's the, the only powerful attacking implement, it's the only way I can think of to say it, that we've got. The word of God is the sword. In the morning, we open the Bible. Do you open the Bible in the morning? Say yes. I hope you do. And we get the sword out, right? Start running it into ourselves. What the Holy Spirit's doing, not jabbing Sandy with the sword, although sometimes. Anyway. We use the sword on ourselves. We use the word of God on ourselves. It arrests us. And then we leave and go out for the day doing whatever we need to do. Do we leave the sword behind? Do we leave it behind? I mean, what's the point in that? I read the Bible, the sword was at work on me, and then I forgot it and left it behind? Take it with you. How do you take it with you? I'm not talking about the physical book, although you could do well to take that with you as well. If it doesn't abide in you, it's not going to work in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hide it in our hearts so that we don't sin against him. Okay. A brief comment here not to criticize anyone. Um, I've been very blessed by these from some of you over the years. But some of us read those little booklets. You know those little booklets in Britain, they were called the Daily Bread. They're called different things here. They've got a few verses that they kind of put together. 
and they're great. They've got a kind of um, commentary and often they're very encouraging and we need encouragement. And I wouldn't say don't do that at all. But what I would say is don't do that in the absence of reading the word of God fully. Physically reading the whole of the word of God again and again and again. Why have the crumbs, small verses, many of which are put together from different places? You can't live on the crumbs. Can you live on crumbs? You need the full diet, right? You need the full food that is the word of God. So I encourage you to get a reading plan. If you're not reading the word every day, if you're married, you should be reading it with one another. You should be. We have to wash our wives with the word. Get a reading plan or just start reading and just keep reading and meditate. Meditate. Memorize scripture. I mean, that's, if you don't memorize scripture, you're definitely leaving the sword back at the house. Memorize it. You can do that. I know some of us find it easier than others, but you can. Listen, if the, if the word of God hadn't been memorized, you wouldn't have it. Do you know that? The oral tradition of the word in the Old Testament is how we came to have that people memorized the word of God. And so we can do it too. Okay, thirdly, the church, I love this one, the church sanctifies us. You and me sanctify us, the way God works in us, because godly people encourage others to be godly. It's basically that simple. And that's one of the reasons I come to church. I hope it's one of the reasons you come to encourage me and I encourage you, not by talking about myself, by being interested in you, by talking about God and what he's done in my life and bringing the word to each other. But godly people also rebuke, they also correct, they also admonish those who are being ungodly, preferably with the Bible. Rebuke, correct, admonish with the Bible. But gently, lovingly, last week Dave was talking about plucking people out of the fire. And they wander off into sin, Pluck, not being just sort of nonchalant about it and saying, oh, Sam's gone off and done this, that and the other. Plucking them out, brother. What are you doing, brother? Christ died for you. Repent. Come back. We love you. We care about you. The church can be very hard, right? But very good around those things. Maybe you just need to be helped back into confession, into repentance, and into growth and sanctification. You know, some of my greatest friends in the church have done that for me for years <laughs> in different ways and at different times. They have laid their hand on my shoulder and said, Sam, where are you going? What are you doing? Did you know Christ died for you, Sam? What does the word say in this context? Godly people come alongside others, don't they? Come alongside. They're not interested in themselves. They're interested in that person. They come alongside. The Holy Spirit's there. It's come alongside as well. It's indwelling as well. And they weep. With those that weep they don't necessarily give advice they weep with those that weep they feel that person's pain they rejoice with those who rejoice 
We're studying Romans 12 at the moment in the Bible study, and we learnt that as well as weeping and rejoicing with those that weep and rejoice, that the saints contribute to the needs of the saints. And sometimes you read that and you think, well, that's just money. You know, you have a need, and it can be that. We were discussing it um, last week, and I said, what ways do we contribute? And one person said, we give ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? We give ourselves, we give our time to those in need. That's the way the church works. It's where I come to worship and be with you. I love singing. I'm not a great singer, but I love singing. I love hearing everyone sing praises to God. I love being encouraged by you, of course. It's where we come to sit under the word. Listen, Hebrews 10, when we get there, verse 24 says this, let us, the saints, let us consider, think about this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good deal. Let's consider how to get each of us working in sanctification and not neglecting to meet together. What's that referring to? Come into church. <laughs> if you want to get encouraged, if you want to be built up, if you want to grow, if you want to encourage others, then you need to be here. If anyone's listening to this later and they're not here, um, we don't know who you are, but feel slightly rebuked. You need to be here. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more. As you see the day approaching, you know, what's, what's he saying? Christ is coming. <laughs> Encourage one another. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe you're uh, in immense pain. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe your faith is weak. Come to church. Let's encourage you. Jesus died for you. He loves you. Isn't that encouraging? Christ is coming again. Man, if we were in Israel right now, we'd probably need to be reminded of that, wouldn't we? In the midst of what's going on, Jesus is coming. He's coming. Sanctify me, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The church is a means of sanctification. Point number four, suffering and trouble sanctify us. It's a big one. It's a huge one. It's the one where I automatically went when I was studying this. Oh, we're going to talk about sanctification. Well, suffering, let's go there. But it's there. It's big. And we all have it in different ways at different times. Some of us have it all the time. It causes us ultimately just simply to reach out to God. That's what it, what's there for. Not to depend on my energy, my efforts, my ability. I could be the best uh, person at what I do than anyone else, but then I get cancer. How am I going to cope with that? Oh, I take medicine. Well, you know what? What is it really doing? Uh, God's sort of saying, you know, I'm over here. I love you. Maybe, uh, maybe you're not paying attention. Maybe you are. But ultimately, it causes us to reach out to God. It causes us to cry out to him. David Paulinson, he's now um, been promoted to heaven from the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, says this, people change because something is hard, not because everything goes well. Ministry traffics, he says, in trouble. It's where it works. Because Christ enters trouble, incarnation. 
because Christ lives through trouble and perseveres. And Christ speaks and acts into trouble. Struggles, says Paulinson, force us to need God. Because all those who desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Don't be surprised, says James, by the fiery ordeal that comes as if it's abnormal. Peter tells us that if necessary, we will suffer from trials and tribulations so that the tested genuineness of our faith be made known. Okay, last one before we get to the second point. Got five minutes. The last one is perhaps the hardest in a way. The ingredient, the last key ingredient to sanctification is us. It's you. It's me. It's our active participation in all of the things I've already mentioned. We have something to do to. It is true that God is doing that great work in us. I've already mentioned that. But it's also true that sanctification cannot happen in the vacuum of us doing nothing. Parking up in the dark corner of a room and shutting the door and saying, God will sanctify me is not true. It indicates you have missed the point. It'll never happen if we're passive. And listen, I want you to know that this business of sanctification isn't all about this outward manifestation of bearing fruit, okay? It's not just doing good works. That's just doing good works. If those good works are connected to a change in the heart, that's sanctification. It's not dealing with the outward manifestation. We're dealing with the inward problem. If we're caught up in sin, we often look at the manifestation of sin. Someone's uh, involved in uh, sexual impurity, we look at the judgment of that. Well, so-and-so did this. But we don't often look at what's going on in the heart that drives that behavior. There's the old man, right? The Bible says, put off the old man. Put on the new. There's this struggle going on. So I'm not just dealing or talking about the outward manifestation. We're just telling us to be good people. Come in here with our smiley faces and encourage one another, but to deal with something that's going on in our hearts. It's an internal, gradual renewal of our hearts and minds. Don't be conformed, says Paul, to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewal of your mind. That requires the word of God, by the way. If you want to renew your mind, you need the word of God. Peter puts it like this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy. Be a God. That's where we get to this. Fear God and obey his commands. It's the end of Ecclesiastes. Paul says this, since we have these promises, since we have the word of God, 
Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The Bible's so clear about this stuff, and yet it's so often not preached about. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Friends, we have to take our part in sanctification. Well, if that's the ingredients uh, to, uh, for sanctification, let's talk about um, our second point. <laughs> Lastly, what is the process of sanctification? How do we put all of those things together? And this is the bit that's usually forgotten or missed out. So far, we've got knowledge. We've heard what the ingredients are. How do we put them together? God, word, church, suffering, our involvement. How do we put them all together? At the beginning of this message, I mentioned that justification comes from the cross. And I mentioned that sanctification comes from the cross. Well, here's the bit where they meet. Remember, we're not just looking at our outward behavior. We're looking at the inward heart that drives our outward behavior. Consider then for a moment when you or I or someone else would think about yourself, maybe um, have got it wrong. Indulging in sin. Now, there's a sense in which we're always sinning. We need to confess that to God. Let's assume for a moment there are outward forces at work. We know there are. There are inward temptations that come from the heart. There are forces too. And they cause us to do the wrong thing. If we were not justified, if we didn't have our debt paid, if we weren't in Christ, we'd not be able to fight that. But in Christ, something's going on. Reading the word, coming to church. What we should do, the process is simple. Well, I say it's simple, might not be. We should start to reflect on not our outward action, that's easy, but our inward heart. That's what we need to reflect on. What's driving me to do this? Well, why am I behaving like this? Ultimately, we need to corner ourselves in Romans 7. Why do I do the thing I know I shouldn't do? And the very thing I know I should do, I don't do. What? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 15, who gives us the victory. That's where we need to get from our heart. We need to say, I'm doing this because I love myself. That's the fundamental nature of sin. I love this because I love what it does for me. I love my self and that's deep down in here but we have new minds we have new hearts we can take thoughts captive for christ the bible says if the word's dwelling in us richly if we don't leave that sword at home if we don't come to church and engage if we don't tap our friend on the shoulder and say where am i going wrong we come to that point where we reflect on our sin and where do we go to the cross amen is that amazing come back to christ when you come to the cross and you see the great high priest with the new covenant 
with a better sacrifice, in a better temple, enacted on better promises, what do you say? Oh, wretched man that I am, save me. Save me from myself, from this old sin that is just gnawing away at the corpse of my dead body. That's all it's doing. <laughs> Actually, there's no power over you because Christ is going to make it happen. You're going to be sanctified. But come there. There's a, there's a process. There's a thing we have to do with this problem. We have to bring it back to the cross and beg for mercy and confess not the outward sign. I mean, you need to confess that too, but the inward heart. That's where change happens, isn't it? It's what's wrong with communism? Change your environment. On every man, put a new suit. Make the environment better and you'll be better. That's the problem with communism. Because it doesn't treat the problem underlying, and that's the human heart. It's got no cure for sin. I used to think it did until I read the Bible. That's where we need to come. That's where we need to deal with our hearts. We need to learn to confess. We need to learn to dig deep. We need to reflect on what's really going on in my heart. If you dig deep enough, you know where you usually get to? You usually get to pride. Do you know that? You dig deep enough in your heart, and actually, <laughs> you're proud. There's no room for pride. Not if you're going to grow. Confess. Come to the cross. Confess your sin. Beg for mercy. Experience a changed heart. Experience the spirit working in you. The word working in you. And the result is you bear good fruit. Good fruit will come in you. Pride changes to humility. Hate changes to love. That's the work of the Spirit. That's your sanctification. That's what it is. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. So as we close then, I suppose each one of us should ask the basic question, am I being sanctified? Am I being sanctified? Forget about me. I've got to ask that question to me. Is Sam being sanctified? Ask that of yourself. Is there a change in your life that moves you from self to sanctification, from self to Christ as your primary interest? Are these things at work in me? Is God at work in me? Is the word at work in me? Jesus Christ says, um, abide in me as I abide in you. If you abide in me and my words, did you know that? My words abide in you. Ask anything you want and it shall be given you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Is the word working in you like that? I know it is with some of you. I don't know all of you well enough. But is it? Are you bearing fruit? I want to encourage you, if you do see signs of sanctification, then know this. He's going to finish the job. He's going to get you there. He is faithful and will do it. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And you know, when you get there, you get to heaven, and Jesus Christ presents you holy and blameless to himself because he's holy. 
He's, that's what he is. He's not going to present you unholy and blame to be blamed. He's going to present you holy and blessed. When you get there, when this happens, you experience that. He says you're holy and you're sanctified. You know what you'll say? It wasn't me. Let's pray. Oh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I just thank you that you will complete the work in us. I feel weak. I feel um, incapable sometimes, Lord, of fighting and striving for holiness. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you even for suffering, Lord. Oh, Lord, please help us to play our part. Help us to love the way Christ loved. Help us to realize that without it, we will not see you. In Jesus' name, amen.